0: Audio podcasters. It's August here in Cambridge at Isotope, and there's a ton of really exciting stuff happening right now. Unfortunately, so much stuff that this podcast is late to publish, so we are sorry about that. Our bad. This month, we're going to do something a little bit different, as Canadian co-host Jeff Manchester interviews 20,000 Hertz podcast host Dallas Taylor. Dallas first cut his teeth as a sound designer mixer for networks including NBC, Fox, G4, and Discovery. Then went on to launch De facto Sound, where he's led thousands of high profile projects, ranging from blockbuster video game trailers and advertising campaigns to Sundance award winning films and major television series. A huge hats off to Jeff for tackling this interview and the editing of this podcast. You'll notice that it sounds much better than what I usually do. Thank you, Jeff. Okay, everyone, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Isotope Inc., and strap in for this month's The New Audio Podcast. So, I have questions about the
1: show, and I have questions about producing the show. I'm going to start with the show, and then hopefully we'll move into a direction where we can talk a little bit about you know editing a podcast these days and what's sort of expected. So, if you could maybe just introduce yourself thumbnail sketch of what de facto is and thumbnail sketch of what the podcast is about
2: sure uh, so, I'm Dallas Taylor. Uh, I lead a sound design studio called De facto Sound, and I also host a podcast about sound called Twenty Thousand Hertz. And uh, at de facto, we primarily work on advertising for major brands, uh, promos for networks, uh, documentaries, branded, long form, um, video game trailers, uh, video game stuff. So really, anything that makes anything that puts sound to picture uh, is something that we work heavily on, except for music. So building worlds and making scenes sound incredible. About a year and a half ago, We wanted to take some of our resources and put it into our own personal project, our own passion project, and that's where uh, 20,000 Hertz came from. Um, Always talking about the narrative power of sound, but what better way to prove that than to create stories that are only sound-based, and so there is no picture.
1: We're all kind of close to audio nerds here. I think we've established that. But for someone who isn't and who listens to loads of podcasts and might be... Might hear about twenty thousand hertz and go, "Oh boy, a show about sounds and the science of sound." I am not sure if that's for me. How would you describe the podcast to them?
2: It's interesting that you you mentioned it that way. I would describe it as: Do you like looking at pictures, or do you like watching? You know, going to an art museum, or looking at Instagram, or looking at anything that um, is visual. Uh, also, do you like going to restaurants and trying new things? Um, do you like very soft? clothes, you know, uh, so I'm essentially just going through all of our senses. So sound is one of those things that's become really relegated to people off into a corner that, you know, magicians that we don't really talk, you know, you're not really allowed to talk about this stuff uh, unless you're in this this hyper small club. And uh, I, I don't know, I just wanted to kind of like blow that up a little bit more and just let everyone realize that this is something that everyone's invited to. It's okay to start to appreciate sound outside of music specifically, and music is a gr- is wonderful, and I love music. But there's so much more to appreciate with the with our sense of sound than just music. Uh, we have we have things that are actually um, hurting our health. There's things around us that we can make more pleasant to make us happier people. Uh, just around, and if we were all thinking about it more then it would get better.
1: The conceit of the show is the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds, right? So, what's the decision process like in choosing an interesting or recognizable sound to build a whole podcast around?
2: So, we I started thinking about the show as much more of like the world the stories behind the world's most recognizable sounds. That was the the initial idea. But then as and then that's where like the NBC chimes came from, the voice on your phone. 8-bit uh, sounds, but then we just naturally came across these really interesting other stories that just had to do with sound Uh, that I was like, ah, it doesn't fit in the recognizable box. Like there's this weird hum that's emanating from a government facility that I'd love that me personally, I mean, I, I, I want to do the podcast, you know, particularly for me because uh, these are stories that I want to hear and that I want to hear on a podcast, but I felt like I was uh, kind of putting the entire podcast in a box by just doing recognizable and so the initial thought was you know if most people would recognize the sound a car door a, a car engine the harley davidson motorcycle then we do a sound do a show on it however i felt like that was a little too uh, you know, whenever we were going through different show ideas and people submitting them, it was just a little bit too in a box. And then I was like, Oh, you know what? I'm, I think that if we do some really good recognizable shows, that audience will trust us with the interesting shows, the ones that we go, you know what, this is going to be an interesting thing. You might have no idea what this means, but we're going to hopefully prove to you that it, that it means something. So we did four recognizable shows before we did a, an interesting show, Uh eight bit Siri, NBC and then the mystery hum and so we kind of keep that you know one-to-one or you know for every interesting we do a recognizable you know sometimes two recognizables than that so I, I don't want to get down a string of just obscure shows uh, because I do want it to be very approachable and I don't want it to come across as being something that you've got to be in the podcast club or uh, you necessarily have to be an intellectual to start to listen to but hopefully at the end you you get something out of it you maybe have an emotion behind it and uh, hopefully some sort of actionable uh, plan to move, you know, at least something that stirs something up in your inside that makes you care more about sound in some way. Well, how many episodes did you have
1: when you have in the bag, when you launched the podcast, did you have like 10 or eight or five?
2: I think we had something like maybe four or five episodes that are, that were really well down the pipe. Uh, Because the thing about, Doing a show that's really highly stylized and highly edited and produced, because every episode takes us about 150 hours, depending on which episode we're working on. Uh, Those early ones took longer because we just had no idea how the show was going to land. The first episode of something, you know, anything like a television show or a podcast that's really, really highly stylized. It's just there's so many aspects that we're trying to figure out, like how is the show going to be introduced? What's going to be the bare bone structure of the show? Are we going to typically have one guest? Are we going to typically have two or three? Uh, how are they going to interact with each other? What's my voice going to be like? Because I, <clears throat> I recorded my own voice for the first episode, maybe 12 times in different voices until I just threw my hands up in the air and I was like, I'm going to record this once in the most. Natural voice I can, and that's going to be the the show voice. Uh, But there was a lot of me over enunciating and over narrating, and then uh, you know now I'm kind of starting to come back a little bit. Like you can listen, you now you can start to hear a little bit of a difference between the beginning and the end, or beginning episodes and where we are now. I'm getting a little bit better of what I how I want to communicate, and that's just from practice. So when we started, we had probably a good five that were well into the future because I was really paranoid that if we didn't have enough in the can that. We just run out because uh, I wanted this. I, my favorite podcasts just are on a on a strict schedule every week or every two weeks, uh, just to where it's something that you know is going to come out. Um, but as far as ideas, we had we probably had <clears throat> I don't know seventy five ideas already just sitting before we ever launched a single show, and it was just as an audio person sitting around going. um, you know, that's interesting, like, you know, going outside, oh, there's a really loud car that goes by, God, that just sounds bad or like you're get honked at in in traffic. And I think most people have been like, "Why are there? Why is there one honk for everything? It just makes everyone so mad. Just random little bits. and And interestingly, and my wife pointed this out, the NBC chimes episode was something that just naturally came to me but i never i never put like it together that that was my that was the the company that gave me my very first job so there could be some sort of emotional tie to that cuz whenever it launched she was like oh that's so cool that you did this little ode to the to the company that gave you your first opportunity and i was like wow i never thought about that and uh and and it kind of was something like that so probably had like 75 episodes and once it went out to the world um, and started to gain some traction Then people started to write in with their ideas And then now that that show list Is probably somewhere in the 150-200 range And it's just the, the topic has just been so Undercovered Surprisingly um, I mean there, we'll find a lot of information when we start to go down A path but there's not a whole lot of resources For just very high level sound stories For the general population that just is In a consistent place So I feel really fortunate That I've been able to jump on that or or start that trend because I don't think that sound is going to be this thing that is only thought about from audio people for much longer. Um, People are always looking for more luxurious ways to live. Um, People are looking for more, uh, you know, better quality of life all the time. And we always look to those other four senses before we seem to look for sound. But that's about I I really believe that that's about to change in general. Uh, I think the general populace is going to become much more sound focused. (laughs) Moving around
1: and traveling as I've done with this job, like when I go to the UK, the ambulance and the police sirens are different, you know, and they're different from country to country. And I'm wondering if you've ever encountered some of the subjects on the podcast being too localized, like say Siri, for example. I mean, she might sound different in Oslo than she would in Toronto. Do you ever get any feedback from someone who who would write and go like, what the heck is an NBC channel? Like, and how do, you, how do you sort of deal with that?
2: Whenever I first started it, it, it was just so hyper localized to my own experience. And what's cool about the podcast is it's been downloaded in every single country on earth, except for like five. So I'm really getting... Uh, it, it's just mind blowing that like this podcast has gone everywhere. So now I'm getting feedback from all over the place and it, you know, it's really opened up my mind to how big the world is and how one sound crosses borders and we can all share this experience. Um, but I would say it was just my own, just being naive, uh, early on. Uh, it was like, Oh, I want to do that. I hear this on my phone all the time and I want to do that because this is something that's, that's probably the most pop- popular sound in broadcasting. Uh, but then whenever I put it out, uh, I've, I would say that the, most of the feedback has been really, really kind. Um, it's, it's, it'll be somebody from England or, uh, or Canada or, um, Australia that said, I've, I've never heard of NBC. I don't know what that is, but it was a really, really interesting story. Um, so the re- relate people relate to it uh, very well. And then they start to th- then they think about places, things in their own country that is that's similar. But you're right. Like S- Siri, we we wanted to interview multiple voices from different countries for the voice of Siri. And uh, it's interesting. Once we start a show, we realize just how much of an onion it it starts to turn into. We have to start making choices of like, oh, my goodness, what do we want to focus on? Because it's just so much depth. Every single subject that we do could be a book uh, and and hopefully it inspires people to kind of take these stories and go ten times deeper. Here at the studio, we we talk about like it's entertainment over comprehensiveness. I don't want anyone to go to any to any of our shows and go that's the comprehensive single singular source source for X uh, subject. But I but I do if someone goes on a Wikipedia dive afterward, that's like the biggest thing for me. I love people, somebody who's going, like, I'm super interested in that, and, I, and here's more information that I found on the internet
1: afterward. And then they just rabbit hole. Exactly, like and it that's went. exactly what I'm hoping people do. Getting to editing, mixing, and mastering, it can be a tricky process, and now with the kind of huge listenership in podcasting and shows really having incredible production value, like S-Town, Invisibilia, can you talk about the kind of pressure that puts on de facto's editing process?
2: I don't think it really puts any pressure. Uh, the The cool thing is, is this is my luckily it's starting to break even it's been a lot of investment from the from de facto into it which ultimately since i own de facto it really ultimately comes out of my pocket but i will say that i don't really feel even though i am doing a podcast and i'm a i'm a podcast fan it's not the only... i i'm i have to basically two full-time jobs so i don't necessarily feel like it's all or nothing or there's a lot of pressure on the podcast side but then as I just got busier and busier and hyper focused in the, into the podcast. My podcast listening went down a little bit. And um, it, I just became very confident in my own um, leadership or, or leading other, you know, editing abilities or, or um, kind of leading people in a, in a direction. The, the more I do it, the more I'm just confident in, the, in, the, in my gut in general. And um, there's a there's a great team of people behind the scenes uh, editing and writing and producing and and so really I'm just I'm I'm kind of like steering people uh, rather than doing everything um, I, I feel like I'm pretty hip to doing most of the jobs uh, writing is probably my weakest skill but I'm pretty good at editing after something has been written uh, but I don't really feel a lot of pressure from other people um, I'm just trying to make the show that I would listen to personally. And I don't, whenever it comes to editing, I just don't want to waste anyone's time. I personally like to get rid of a lot of the random noises like "us" and so's and you knows. And what you'll find is you can take something and make it very, very pointed and very emotional just by removing all of the filler words that people use to soften their statements. And so um, it's still the same. It still rings true. It's just that a lot of people, I guess, through humility, um, say things in a way And then they will tend to soften what they say with some sort of filler word or an extra sentence after a very important point. It's ultimately just getting to the heart of what people are really trying to say, but they don't realize that they're they're diminishing their own or or they're kind of diminishing their own opinion on certain things. And so we're just kind of carving out all of that gunk that people are doing. And it doesn't make people say it sound arrogant. It just makes people sound really, really intelligent and smart and, and, um, I don't know, just once you once you start cutting that stuff out and really getting down to the meat of what someone's saying, it just takes things to a completely new level. I imagine
1: there's a a, a little bit of pressure, maybe not to conform to the sort of production value of West town or whatever, but to make the show sound good since it is about audio. And in that sort of vein, what aspect do you find takes the most time, whether it's maybe denoising or adding those sound design elements? What takes the longest before the show gets out?
2: Typically, and this even holds true for video projects too it's that sound design aspect because there's a lot of just you can throw a lot of placeholder stuff in but the real subtlety maybe
1: sort of uh maybe sort of explain to people who might not really know what you're talking about when you say sound design
2: sure so i think of sound design as more of an all-encompassing thing and this is uh, a much more generic way of of talking about uh different aspects that can collectively be called sound design Um, Things like foley, those are the things that you touch typically with your hands or feet or clothing. Uh, These are things that are typically performed and tied to an actor. We'll only do foley if we're trying to recreate like a human scene in the podcast. We do foley all the time whenever it comes to picture. Um, We've got hard effects. These are things that you can usually build out with a sound effects library, explosions, um, door slams. Um most things we can typically, if it's not uh being performed in fully, uh most things we can typically grab from a sound effects library and maybe use a few different sounds or 10 or 20 sounds to create a new sound out of it. Uh the other thing is backgrounds. These are things like winds and um uh and and longer pieces, so wind and um uh birds and and things that really just like make up the background that ties a, a whole scene together. And then the last thing that uh, that we think a lot about, which may not be as more of a, a, it's not necessarily a traditional way of thought. And I think it's more called a hard effect in the Hollywood sense, but uh, but we we separate it out and it's called, uh, we use, we call it um, emotional effects. And those are sound effects that are not tied to the reality on the screen, but they're just tied to an emotion. And to the, the clearest example of that are just in, is just any trailer that you listen to with booms and hits and whines, uh, that's just all like full on emotional sound design. So we typically split all of those things out. And whenever we're trying to create a scene, whether it's in video or in the podcast, we'll talk about it in terms like that. Like, you know, we want something emotional in the emotional sound design to create this type of feeling for this, or we want to literally have someone walking across, um, you know, the, the, the mental picture that we're trying to create through Foley or, Uh, hard effects or whatnot um so typically to get and to make something sound great in sound design it just takes some time um i've been around in the industry long enough to know that audio people tend to pride themselves on how fast they can do something but that is a terrible like marker of 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 just how we should be thinking about our craft and our art i don't think that artists really thought about oh i can you know, bang out the Mona Lisa in four hours. And another person's like, I can bang it out in three hours. And so it's just like, it doesn't matter. Um, yes, you should, your tools should be transparent and you should, shouldn't be tied down by the tools that you use. Uh, you should know them really well. Uh, just like an artist would know their paintbrushes really well, but they're not going to be hyper-focused on it. Um, so so yeah, all of that to say is, is the, you know, traditionally there's been a lot of well, I can do it faster. I can do it cheaper. I can do this, but that doesn't necessarily really create a better product. And so I've completely gone against that, that grain, uh, with de facto sound. And, and we, we spit, you know, we are very quick. We are very fast. Uh, we can, we can, you know, in quotes, bang things out as fast as anybody else, but that's not the direction that I w- want to go. I personally did not get into the craft of sound design and audio to just white knuckle, uh, all day, every day. And, uh, and just get to a point where it's just like, it's just a a speed thing. Uh, I, I, got into this to create something that makes a difference and, and touches people emotionally. And that sometimes takes some time to, to think through all of that to come back around to say is that's why sound design typically takes the longest. in in most of the things we do outside of just editing narration down or editing, uh, typically we don't edit narration down. That's typically written, but, but editing interviews down that takes a long time. But then, um, even just like picking music or building out a scene with sound design can take a, take a good bit of time.
1: Speaking of tools, I'm wondering if any of isotopes ever factor into the editing process and if so, which ones and how would you use them?
2: Oh my goodness. It is like, um, hopefully I'm not putting on the spot. No, it's like the understatement of the year to not, I mean, this is so like, this is not planned. This, this was not coming. I did not write anything out. Um, and I know that that's a little, you know seems a little branded at this point but we use uh isotope all the time like it is it's become anytime we get up a new room there's like a certain there's like a th- certain key things we have to have and so like rx is uh, the entire you know advanced suite is something that is absolutely mandatory on everything what's the what's the metering thing the whole metering suite we use that like insight a, insight we use that i mean everything we have like that's always up on every mix that we ever do. Uh so we're always measuring all of that. Um so RX Advanced and Insight for us, I don't think we could even do our jobs with any other tools. Um I mean we've we've demoed a lot of other things and we do use some other like random type of real-time noise reduction things uh, occasionally. But as far as just cleaning things up. I'm But as far as just cleaning things up, it's it's um it's like number one, we're always looking at pro tools because it's physically up. But I would say out of everything else, um, including what I would consider the most important tools, which is EQ, compression, DSing, I would say that we have some sort of isotope window open more than all of those things because we're spending so much time crafting and getting rid of pops and clicks and broadband broadband noise or 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 um random things that just happen and uh and yeah so it's uh it factors all the time in every podcast and every single project that we work on uh at de facto it's uh it's it's critical
1: well, that's all the questions that I have. Um, Dallas Taylor of De Facto Sound. His podcast is called Twenty Thousand Hertz. Run, don't walk to check it out if you haven't heard of it, and you can find it pretty much anywhere people listen to podcasts, right, Dallas?
2: Uh, yep. You spell it all out: twenty thousand hertz.
1: Uh, right. Don't put twenty k in the in the search folder because I've found that that does not actually locate the podcast, at least in the channels i'm searching i
2: did change it recently to come from de facto sound slash 20k to solve that problem so hopefully if you put in 20k it'll come up now and that's a newer development but best bet is just put in twe and then it'll probably be the first thing that pops up on itunes
1: awesome well thank you so much for being on the new audio podcast man
2: yeah thank you